you and your partner are finishing up a late lunch when you're dispatched to an apartment for a two-week-old baby with an unknown medical problem. The infant's mother takes you to the nursery where you find an approximately five kilogram infant sleeping in her crib. Mom tells you that her baby was doing fine until yesterday when she stopped taking a bottle. She hasn't had any wet diapers today and just wants to sleep. When you ask about recent illness, the baby's mom denies any history of fever, vomiting, or diarrhea. Observing the sleeping baby, you notice that her breathing seems a bit fast. You're listening to 911Cast, the no-nonsense EMS podcast. This episode is brought to you by OneKit, makers of high-quality first aid kits. Get yours today at buyonekit.com. I'm Scott Tobiel, and this week, it's all about pediatric SVT. Supraventricular tachycardia, or SVT, is an abnormally rapid heart rhythm that originates from above the ventricles. It's also the most common cardiac rhythm disturbance in children, affecting as many as one out of every 250 kids, most of whom have otherwise normal hearts. A quick review of the heart's normal electrical conduction will help us better understand SVT. When everything works as it should, the sinoatrial or SA node acts as the heart's regular pacemaker. The SA node sits in the upper wall of the right atrium and generates electrical impulses that travel to the atrioventricular or AV node, where the electricity slows down a little bit before continuing to the ventricles, where it splits left and right, traveling through the bundle branches, causing the ventricles to contract. At least, that's how it's supposed to work. Sometimes the heart has accessory pathways, which are like extra wires connecting the atria and the ventricles. These pathways allow electricity to bypass the normal electrical conduction system. When this happens, electrical impulses that travel through the AV node can sometimes loop back to the atria, causing rapid and repeated signals to reach the ventricles, resulting in a fast rhythm called SVT. Most episodes of SVT, especially in children, last only a few seconds. Occasionally, the abnormal rhythm will last longer, maybe a few minutes, before stopping on its own. But every so often, SVT persists, lasting several hours or even days. Identifying SVT in children can sometimes be tricky because symptoms tend to vary by age. Since babies don't talk, they can't really tell you how they're feeling. This means that SVT in infants often goes on for a long time before anyone notices. As EMS providers, when we think of heart failure, we usually think of older adults with long-standing cardiovascular disease. But SVT places a tremendous strain on the young heart. As a result, it's surprisingly common for the first noticeable signs of SVT in an infant to be related to the onset of acute heart failure. Consider the possibility of SVT in any infant with an elevated heart rate and a history of poor feeding, fussiness or irritability, sleeping more than usual, tachypnea, pallor or modeling. You might even notice retractions from respiratory distress caused by heart failure, so be sure to undress the baby and do a good physical assessment. Symptoms of SVT in older children and adolescents often include sudden onset palpitations, fatigue or lightheadedness. In some cases, they might appear pale or diaphoretic, or be hypotensive. One word of caution. SVT does not usually cause syncope in children. 
A child that experiences syncope, especially with activities such as playing or exercising, is at high risk for sudden cardiac death and needs to be evaluated very carefully. We discussed syncope and near syncope in more detail in episode 10. Alright, so at what heart rate should you start thinking about SVT? In an adult, the traditional teaching is that SVT can occur once the heart rate exceeds 150. That can be really misleading, though, since sinus tachycardia caused by anything from sepsis to exercise can get that fast. Identifying SVT depends on more than rate alone. History, as with almost everything, plays an important role. Did the tachycardia and associated symptoms come on suddenly? Or are they preceded by a period of illness with symptoms like fever, vomiting, or diarrhea? A sudden onset without an obvious trigger supports the likelihood of SVT. In children, the question about heart rate is more complex, since vital signs always need to be considered relative to what's normal for the patient's age. A general rule of thumb is that SVT in infants usually occurs somewhere between 220 and 280 beats per minute, with older children being somewhere in the 180 to 240 range until they hit adolescence and their vital signs pretty much mirror those of adults. On an EKG, SVT will usually appear as a regular, narrow, complex rhythm. Sometimes, however, the electrical conduction takes a path that causes a delay resulting in a wide complex tachycardia that can be virtually indistinguishable from VTAC. This is called SVT with aberrancy. In children with healthy hearts, conscious VTAC is relatively uncommon, but not unheard of. If you're unsure and can't transmit your EKG to an expert for review, Keep in mind that VTAC is a potentially lethal rhythm and proceed accordingly. Okay, so what about treatment? When it comes to SVT, you've got basically three approaches. Vagal maneuvers, medication, and electricity. Your choice really comes down to the stability of your patient. Most protocols recommend immediate synchronized cardioversion for a patient experiencing SVT with signs of poor perfusion, such as altered mental status or hypotension. It's best to use the joules per kilogram recommended by your defibrillator's manufacturer. And whatever you do, make well sure that you're in synchronized mode, or else you might convert your patient into V-fib cardiac arrest. Named after 17th century Italian physician Antonio Maria Valsalva, the Valsalva maneuver is a method of stimulating the vagus nerve in order to increase the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system and slow down the heart. Older children and adults should be instructed to close their mouth, pinch their nose, and bear down as if they're having a bowel movement for about 10 to 15 seconds. The success rate of this approach varies in the literature from 5 to 20%. Of course, you're not going to have much success telling an infant to do all that. In that case, you can stimulate a vagal response by placing a bag of ice water to the bridge of the nose for about 20 seconds. This can be surprisingly effective with some studies reporting success rates anywhere from 66 to 90%. When vagal maneuvers don't work, but your patient is hemodynamically stable, it's time for adenosine. Adenosine works by temporarily blocking conduction through the AV node, isolating the ventricles from the extra impulses and breaking the runaway SVT loop. In children, adenosine is dosed by weight, usually 0.1 milligrams per kilogram for the first dose and 0.2 milligrams per kilogram for repeat doses, never exceeding the adult dose. 
The key to adenosine's effectiveness is to respect its very short half-life of less than 10 seconds. The drug should be administered as a very rapid push through a peripheral IV as close to the heart as possible, usually in the AC. Follow that with a rapid flush of normal saline to force the medication into circulation as quickly as possible. Most failures of adenosine to convert SVT to a normal rhythm are likely the result of bad administration technique. While adenosine is generally pretty safe, there are a couple of things to watch out for. First, most protocols list asthma as a contraindication, since adenosine has been known to cause bronchoconstriction and severe respiratory complications in people with asthma. You'll also want to avoid giving adenosine to a patient with a known history of Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, also known as WPW. This is because the AV node's inherent slowing down of impulses actually helps prevent WPW tachycardia from getting out of control. If you give adenosine and temporarily block the AV node completely, those extra impulses will take other pathways that transmit instantly to the ventricles, resulting in ventricular fibrillation and cardiac arrest. All right, let's get back to our two-week-old patient. You palpate her brachial pulse and find that it's way too fast for you to count. Placing her on your cardiac monitor, you're shocked to see a heart rate of 308. Her oxygen saturation is 90% on room air, and you count her respiratory rate at 66 breaths per minute. While you work on starting an IV, you ask mom to get a bag of ice water. You place the bag on the baby's face, and after about 15 seconds, her heart rate slows down considerably. You transport to the nearest pediatric hospital, where the baby is admitted with acute heart failure, secondary to prolonged SVT, and is discharged the following week. Supraventricular tachycardia is the most common cardiac dysrhythmia in children. The gold standard of treatment is synchronized cardioversion. But alternative first-line interventions, such as vagal maneuvers or adenosine, are preferred if the patient is otherwise stable. Never delay cardioversion when the patient exhibits signs of decompensation or shock, such as altered mental status or hypotension. That's it for this episode of 911Cast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.